As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and that was more like it. With me to talk about the USA's 2-0 win over Jamaica in World Cup qualifying is a man who knows all of the specifics about the red card law and can explain it in every detail. It's Joe Lowry. <laughs> Hi, Joe. How you doing, buddy? Oh, Taylor, you've put me in, in a bit of a pickle, <laughs> which I guess is earned after my affair with Tom Bogert while you were out of town. So exactly, know, fair play, exactly. So fair play. <laughs> it's punitive, and I look forward to you explaining it in detail. I don't, because we're not going to do that. Instead, we're going to talk broadly about the game, get into some specifics later on. But first, Joe, that was fun. Uh, it was nice to get a win. It was nice to get a comfortable win in the end. Uh, they played some good soccer, I, I felt like, at times. Uh, how pleased were you with that result overall? Yeah, the result is great, right? You can't complain about a 2-0 win in World Cup qualifying. And it was an important one for the U.S. coming off of a pretty disappointing, but still okay in terms of points window in September. This was, as you said, a lot more like it from the U.S. Now, the result was good. The performance, I thought, was mixed. And we'll talk more about that. I didn't think the first half was particularly impressive from the U.S. They were always in control and in fair play to the U.S. They didn't allow a ton of quality chances for Jamaica really at any point in this game. So the U.S. was in control in the first half, but didn't look all that threatening in terms of you know getting shots on target themselves. So the first half, I, I didn't think was phenomenal from the U.S., and, and the second half was obviously a lot better, and we'll get into maybe some reasons as to why that was. Yes, we will. Uh, so you, we do the rewatch. We did the the first viewing. Took a break. Did the rewatch. How much changed for you between the first and second viewing? Were there things you were concerned about that you're less concerned about? Were there, or are there things that you were less concerned about that you're now more concerned about? Uh, the concern level kind of stayed the same, to be honest. Right. But I did learn some things and, and notice some things that I didn't see the first time that maybe explain away some of the reasons why the U.S. struggled to create chances in that first half. Because really, Taylor, that was what I was most focused on, focused on because that's been a trend, right? And we've talked about it. The Canada game, everybody's talking about the Canada game online in, in the last window where the U.S. really struggled to create chances and the only goal they scored was a, a transition moment. And, and really, that's where the goals came from in this game, just in, in a slight 
slightly different way, but generally similar. But it hasn't just been the Canada game, right? Uh, think back to Nations League and, and the, the semifinal against Honduras, right? Honduras sat deep and defended in a 4-4-2 block, and the U.S. struggled to create chances. So my rewatch was kind of focused around why is this happening? Why is this still happening? And, and why did it happen again? And I don't have the full explanation, but maybe we can piece it together a bit. All right, I'm excited to have that conversation because I, in the rewatch, felt more positive, actually, good, in, that, good. in that first half with some of what I saw. Uh, but let's start with the lineups themselves. For the United States, uh, some some might have been disappointed. I was pretty pleased with what I saw. It was Anthony Robinson on the left. It was Serginho Dest on the right. It was not Tyler Adams at right back. It was Tyler Adams central with Eunice Musa and Weston McKinney ahead of him. Uh, it was suggested to us on Twitter. I forget the user. I apologize. Uh, I'm sure they're a listener. I'm sure they will message to say, how dare you? Uh, but I do love that this <laughs> midfield can now be dubbed MMA. That works yes. really well. And then ahead of them, Brendan Aronson on the left, Paul Ariel on the right, Ricardo Pepe central. About what you and I expected, Joe. But all the same, I was pretty happy. And obviously with Matt Turner and goal, even happier. Same. Yeah. I mean, there are some things to quibble about. That was a buzzword that Tom and I used in our, our roster analysis show. But the, the differences between some of these players from, from spot one in the depth chart to spot two is not all that big. The gap isn't all that large at this point. That said, no Chris Richards kind of bumped me out. But again, I, I can understand why you don't play him in a situation like this. I do think he's a better center back than Walker Zimmerman. But Walker Zimmerman, I thought, had a really, really good game. So it's hard to complain about that choice from Greg Berhalter. Interesting that Zimmerman leapfrogged Mark McKenzie on the center back depth mm-hmm. chart, even though Zimmerman wasn't named to the initial roster. And then he got the captain's armband after Tyler Adams subbed out. So some some weird storylines happening there. But I, I mean, I'm for it, to be honest. The hair alone warrants that armband. No, no Chris Richards bummed me out a little bit. No Tim Weah starting bums me out as well. But he's been so injury prone at times in the past. He missed the last window after getting called in. His hamstrings are, I don't know, like a hard rubber band. They're going to snap at any time and so limiting him his minutes is okay and I, I think he's in line for a start at some point in this window those are really the only two spots center back and, and winger that I had some questions about but like you're saying Taylor not a whole lot to be all that upset over I had some questions about center back as well but I, I will uh, be embarrassed for a moment and say like I kept forgetting it was Zimmerman and not Tim Ream I don't know if anyone else had that problem <laughs> but it's like it's like the blonde hair and the bun the kind of like scraggly facial hair when he puts on the captain's armband as well I like multiple times I was like oh Tim Ream's on the field I didn't know he was in the squad and then I had to remind myself so that was maybe <laughs> the most confusing thing about the U.S. lineup the Jamaica lineup did throw me for a minute because it was about the shape we expected it was 4-2-3-1 at times defending in a 4-4-2 sometimes mid-block sometimes lower but there were a number of names that we expected to start, expected to be involved that were not. I did not realize how many of them had withdrawn uh, before the game. Uh, uh, Michael Antonio, uh, Michael Antonio of West Ham, uh, announced that he, he, West Ham, and Jamaica, I'm guessing West Ham were a prominent one in that conversation, <laughs> felt like it wasn't a good idea, so he withdrew. Leon Bailey was out injured, but then Daniel Johnson, who I expected to start at center back, or excuse me, at midfield, was not involved, uh, nor were Liam Moore and Ethan Pinnock. Ethan Pinnock is one that you, Joe, had spotlighted as potentially starting at center back, likely instead of Mariapa, who is 35 years old and has no club. So it was a vulnerable a weakened Jamaica but sometimes that can be even more difficult because a team that doesn't have its stars doesn't have its attacking talent can then be even more defensive and instead what I saw from Jamaica coming out aside from the red card challenge in the first minute was a mixed approach sometimes I felt like they were sitting deep sometimes it seemed like they were going mid-block sometimes very infrequently I saw them pressing a bit what did you make of Jamaica's approach to at least that first half Joe? 
it was varied defensively. They didn't come out and immediately sit in a bunker. They did step forward either in a mid-block or in, I don't know exactly what to call this, and I, I, I'd I love for a coach to just tell me what it's called. I always end up calling it a high block. It's like your your line of confrontation, your front two in this case, in the four four two for Jamaica, is well past midfield, but you're not really pressing. You're just kind of standing there, and that's where you've chosen to draw your lines. I'm just going to call it a high block until someone corrects me. So I saw the mid-block, saw the high block, and they did press something. I, I noted a couple moments where Jamaica pressed and actually gave the U.S. a bit of trouble. Uh, it was working for them at times. They also got burned a number of times from being too high up the field. So it was a mixed bag in that regard. But Taylor, I think we were we were pretty accurate in our preview of this team. We, we had the shape right for Jamaica. We had some of their defensive ideas right in how they wanted to approach the game. I thought, though, they were far too spread in the first 15 yep. to 20 minutes. I, I think the U.S. had, they, though they did have a lot of dangerous moments, especially coming down the U.S.'s left side, Jamaica's right side. Anthony Robinson was really getting forward when Bobby Reed, the, the right side midfielder for Jamaica, would tuck inside almost naturally, defensively, not really thinking about his role, it, it looked to me. Anthony Robinson would bomb forward. Brendan Aronson would make really nice runs in behind. And Jamaica were struggling to keep pace. And, and as the first half wore on, they did change that a little bit and become a bit more conservative defensively. And this is a Jamaica team that, uh, if the commentators are correct, uh, we're instructed basically they've got to get five points from these three games or they can say goodbye to their manager. So maybe that explains why they were more aggressive further up the field than we thought they might be more consistently. And it did, I think, cause the United States problems. I think also that change to a more defensive shape as the half went on did as well. Let's talk about the U.S.'s tactics in that first half then, Joe. Sounds like you were less impressed than I was. I feel like I saw some things that we have wanted to see from the United States but haven't yet seen. And I did see some explanations for why the United States wasn't able to find a way through. But I turned it to you to say what you liked and what you didn't like. Okay, I'll start with, I think I might be a bit more negative on this first half than you, so sure. I'll start with some of the negative stuff, and then I really do want to hear your thoughts, Taylor. Um, the U.S. came out in this 4-3-3 shape that made sense, right? Credit to Greg Berhalter, players were in the right spots for their natural positions. There was interchanging, there was rotation. Earlier on in this first half, there were a lot of really dangerous runs behind the back line. Earlier today, as we're recording on Thursday, Taylor, I was on Jason Davis's Sirius XM show, and, and I talked about the pattern that we've often seen from the U.S. in the past, where the ball side fullback gets on the ball, usually from a center back or maybe from a central midfielder. Let's just say it's Anthony Robinson in this game. Anthony Robinson would get on the ball wide on the left, and as he receives the ball, that's the trigger for Brendan Aronson to bend and start making a run in behind. And, and we saw that pattern over and over and over again, and it was working from the U.S. They were getting into some dangerous spots when Jamaica left themselves exposed and left the gaps you know, too big between their lines. Things were going well for the U.S. in that regard. The issue was the lack of final product, or at least that was mm -hmm. part of the issue. The U.S. Paul Carr had a great tweet out at halftime, uh, Stats Guru. U.S. was 0 for 11 on crosses in the first half, and they only had eight touches inside the box, which was equal to the Canada game, which we've all used as this really negative example of the team playing with the ball. There were some similarities to that game and how the U.S. really struggled to create chances, even though they dominated possession. So that was kind of my beef. It wasn't all bad. There were some really nice moments, good runs out of midfield from Eunice Musa, Weston McKenney having a really great sequence on the left side of midfield and combining with Brendan Aronson. There were good moments, but between that poor final ball and some poor shot selection from, from Aronson and McKenney, I think especially, Jamaica making some defensive adjustments and the U.S. just being a bit, a, a bit slow on the ball. All of those things combined to make this pretty unappetizing possession soup. Um, and it wasn't all bad, again, but those were some of the things I it sounds like it was all that well. No, no, <laughs> no. Unappetizing no. There was, there was possession soup doesn't sound particularly thrilling. 
Well, Taylor, sometimes you got to eat what's served to you, man. You know, you're a parent <laughs> so, now. You got to you got to know this stuff. That's fair. Uh, <laughs> um, I think because it finishes two nil to the United States. I look back at the first half and see it more as the United States figuring some things out and then putting those to good use in the second half. And I think that's where I have fewer problems with what the United States was doing because we've wanted to see the U.S. switch the point of attack, switch possession when uh, the opponent does get numbers behind the ball. And I felt like the U.S. would do a good job of trying to carry the ball forward either uh, via individual dribbling or via sort of line-splitting passes but then you'd, you'd run into the Jamaica back four was pretty tight and pretty central. So I think then you would get those crosses, but other times you would get a cutback to Eunice Musa, who maybe would cut it back to Tyler Adams, who would then, I think three times in the opening 16 minutes, hit that sort of mid-range diagonal out wide to Serginho Dest, who was running on. And that was a, and sometimes it was even Anthony Robinson carries the ball forward, cuts it back to Adams, Adams turns and hits that ball out wide. And so with two players involved, you switch the point of attack, you've made Jamaica move over. The problem then becomes when they get eight and nine outfield players in the box, you do net, then need that next level of innovation. You need that next level of thinking. And that is where I think the U.S. oftentimes went for crosses or tried to force in passes. We saw Tyler Adams late in the first half start to get pretty frustrated with the front three and the lack of movement. So I take your point that there were sort of moments that weren't clicking in the United States if they had been able to find another pass, another move, another run off the ball, I think things go differently. And I do feel like that happened in the second half. One other thing I think is worth noting, I did not know this, obviously, in the first half. We learned it right before the uh, the opening goal that the U.S. players had complained about how dry the field was. A very dry field keeps the ball from moving quickly. So the uh, field was, I think, extra watered at halftime to keep the ball skipping to make sure it moved quick more quickly. And I, and I do have to wonder if that plays a part because with the U- U.S. able to move the ball faster, they find space more readily, and they're able to get some goals. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. It is, it's a little bit of a bummer, right? Because you, yeah. you, count, you count on the conditions at home being good and that being something that you really can't complain about. But I guess that's not always the case. Taylor, one other thing I wanted to highlight from the first half, uh, and this is kind of a Jamaica-specific thing, if you'll allow me, because I noticed sure. this as I went through the rewatch. Jamaica generally in this game, and, and maybe you disagree, I thought they struggled, man. I thought they looked Agreed. like a, a lot like they did in the September window. Way too much space between the lines, too slow to close down the ball, higher up the field. Just just some really unfortunate problems from them, and I don't really see them getting four, five points out of no. this particular window. But Jamaica, about halfway through the first half, I think wisened up and started to defend a lot better. Around the, 20, the 20th minute, excuse me. I noticed that instead of sitting in this kind of passive 4 mm-hmm. 2 block, Jamaica started to defend in a bit more of a man-oriented way on the U.S.'s ball side. And, and what I mean by that is instead of sitting off in the 4 2 Bobby Reed would actually get tight to Pauliariola. And, and Devin Williams, who was the right-sided central midfielder in the 4 2 for Jamaica, would step pretty wide to track Weston McKinney as he would pull off to the left. And so instead of just allowing Miles Robinson and Weston McKinney, the, the deeper players on the left side for the U.S., to distribute and, and pick them apart, Jamaica did make a little bit of an adjustment. And they started to step there and they started to track the wingers' movement, Brendan Aarons' movement. Bobby Reed, who's this central attacking midfielder playing on the wide, uh, playing on the on the in the wider areas, he was acting as a, an auxiliary right back at times for Jamaica. And that rotation and that movement from Jamaica, I think, gave the U.S. a lot of trouble. And maybe the U.S. actually would have found a goal if, if Jamaica hadn't adapted in that way. So I did want to give credit. I don't know if it was the players that started doing that naturally, if it was Theodore Whitmore who instructed them to, to change a little bit of how they're defending. But I thought that was a smart change from them that made the U.S.'s lives harder. 
Yeah, because I, I have around that same time that they make that switch, and then it's 23.05 is when Tyler Adams has words with, it looked like Brendan Aronson, but maybe the entire attacking line about their lack of movement. Uh, so I, I wonder if those things go hand in hand. And then we do start to get more opportunities for Jamaica. Uh, there's the low shot that Matt Turner saves in the 41st minute, and it's and it does feel not level necessarily heading into halftime. Obviously, it is level on the score sheet, but it did seem like Jamaica had had gained a little bit of momentum and the United States was going to have to find a way back or find a way through would maybe be a better way to put it. Uh, One other little thing I noticed that on the rewatch, I noticed even more, and I'm going to assume this was a specific instruction and it seemed to be specific to Walker Zimmerman. There was no messing around from the U S center backs. And we have seen in other games. And I, I even think of like Olympic qualifying for the U S that sometimes when you try to play out of the back, when you get a little too cute, when you get a little too slow, and ponderous on the ball, you get robbed of possession or you give it away and you create your own problems. And anytime there was a loose ball when uh, there was a Jamaican player in the vicinity or making a play on it, it was just cleared. It was kicked out of bounds. It was very keep it simple, stupid, uh, or when in doubt, kick it out. Either one you want. But I, I did <laughs> sort of enjoy that there was a just like a steadfastness to like, nope, that ball is getting cleared. We are not going to mess around with it. We will rebuild possession when we get the ball back further up the pitch. And There's a practicality to that that I appreciate, especially in a game when if the U.S. were still concerned about Jamaica's uh, speed out wide and ability to find Shamar Nicholson up top, that does make some sense there. So I didn't have many problems with that. It did not make the most aesthetically pleasing game, uh, at least in the first half, but I didn't mind the practicality of it. Sure, sure. And in that moment, Taylor, not to get too far ahead of ourselves here, uh, but that that idea you're talking about where the center backs just clear the ball, that did play a part sort of in leading to the U.S.'s first goal. If you draw the, the line hmm. back far enough, the thread, yep. it's Walker Zimmerman just playing the ball out of bounds because the U.S. doesn't want to risk a turnover in that yeah. area. And then you fast forward you know, 30 seconds or a minute and the U.S. have the ball in the back of the net. So, hey, uh, maybe some 8,000 hmm. D chess from Walker Zimmerman and Greg Peralta <laughs> there. You never know. You never know. We're going to talk about those goals in just a moment. We're also going to talk about the controversial moments from the official. But first, we're going to take a break to hear from today's sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX, stream on Hulu. Welcome back. We were talking about things that worked for the United States, things that did not work for them in the first half. One more theory I had, Joe, and it's really from the opening few minutes. I think Jamaica were very content to try to make this a physical game and were happy to knock the U.S. around. Uh, I noticed a lot. Obviously, there's the two red card moments. We'll talk about those. But there were moments when Paul Ariola would be dribbling and try to cross. And after he had sort of crossed it, he gets a shoulder bump out of bounds. Anthony Robinson got one of those. I think Serginho Dest did as well. I think Brendan 
that Aronson got a couple. And and I I did start to feel on the rewatch that Jamaica maybe had that intentional tactic of foul, disrupt, kick the ball away, slow it down, and just try to prevent the United States from getting into any rhythm. And you could do that when you knock when you knock somebody off the ball, when you keep conceding fouls. And I, I also think Jamaica did a good job of uh, earning fouls in non-threatening spots where it seemed like they were shepherding the ball out. A U.S. player would really be aggressively trying to keep it in, and then there'd be a little kick. Jamaican player would go down, free kick. And every time I noticed it, that like I would start fast-forwarding, and I would click, 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 and get to a, a restart, and then very quickly there'd be another foul. There'd be another stoppage. And I think a lack of rhythm is a good way to disrupt your opponents. Yes. Yeah. Also, just straight up not letting them score goals by pulling them back and kicking them. Also <laughs> good ideas, which leads us to the conversation about the red cards because uh, I'm going long here, Joe, but for the first one, for it to be inside the first minute and for it not to be given as a red, that felt about as clear as it could be. I also have some sympathy for the United States because if you're in that position and you feel like it should have been a a red card or it should have been a goal and it wasn't, it's a yellow card and now you have a free kick from distance, it can be tough to shake that off. It can be tough to feel like, wait, what? This isn't how it's supposed to be. And you can spend a little bit of time thinking like we're supposed to be one nil up. We're supposed to have a man advantage. This is frustrating. This is annoying. And you can play into that game. And I felt like the United States didn't do that. They did take a little bit of time to get used to it. But I think they should have been getting used to playing against 10 men because Kamar Lawrence, very lucky to stay on the pitch. Okay, so I'm going to walk us through this first moment to the best of my ability. It is like 20 seconds into the game. It comes very quickly in this first half. Yunus Musa gets on the ball in a, in a little bit of a scrum, plays it forward. It ends up finding Brendan Aronson. Aronson comes to the ball, plays a really beautiful first touch ball to Pepe, who then plays yes, an equally beautiful through ball to yes, Paul Ariola. It's, it's a phenomenal sequence. And then when I'm watching this, I'm thinking, holy cow, this is going to yep. be a game. And as Paul Ariola is, is running on the ball, Kamar Lawrence just drags him down. Uh, Jamaica's left back and he pulls him down and it is a, a clear foul and certainly a clear card. On replay and even in that initial sequence, I think you can see that Lawrence is the last man. He is the closest defender to the goal. Uh, it, it really does look like a red card to me, Taylor. That's what the broadcast was saying. I think that's what most folks besides the center referee were saying. This is this is a strange situation. So I, I feel like there's there's the I think Law and Order taught me that when the the jury goes out to deliberate, when the jury comes back quickly, that usually means a guilty verdict. Guilty, when they yeah. take a really yeah. long time and a long, 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 long time to figure <laughs> things out, maybe they're just being diligent. But sometimes that can lead to an acquittal or a hung jury. And I did feel like the longer the officials took, and especially when he ran over and almost kind of like hid by the linesman, it felt like you don't want to make this call because you know what you're supposed to be making. It's supposed to be a red card, but you don't want that pressure and you don't want the narrative to be oh the ref destroyed the game even if it was Kamar Lawrence who sort of destroyed the game because watching it again from all the different angles Alvis Powell on the opposite side is keeping Paul Ariola on side but is nowhere close enough to make a play on this so there's you can't make the argument in my opinion that he was going to be able to make a defensive play which means Kamar Lawrence is the last man and I, I think people who are new to the sport or get frustrated by soccer's lack of physicality, maybe some of the theatricality, might argue like there's not much there. It's not like he like clears him out from behind. It's it's sort of a hand on the shoulder and maybe there's a little bit of a touch uh, to, to his feet. But that's where you have to remember if a person is running at full speed, there's an instinctual like awareness of where your feet are supposed to be as you're sprinting. You're not 
thinking about it when you're running. You just know where your feet are going to be, and your feet know where they're supposed to be. But if you get pulled back on that shoulder, it means that the physics are off. It means you're changing the way you're running, and then you're going to go down. Even just that little bit of a pullback, albeit very briefly, changes your stride. It changes where your feet are going to hit. And if you're if they're hitting in a place that's not expected, you're going to fall. You're going to lose your balance, and that's exactly what happens. So it's it's a very clever little pullback from Kamar Lawrence, and I think it, deliberately so. So then he can argue, like, oh, I barely touched him. I was just trying to get on the opposite side of him. These things happen. It shouldn't be a red. And I think the official didn't want to have to make that call. So he didn't. So it was a yellow. But that seemed uh, pretty unfair to the U.S. and to Paul Dariola, who I thought had a pretty good game. I think a lot of people are going to maybe not mention him as much in their recaps. And when they talk about this one, I saw a lot to like from Paul Areola, which isn't a thing I expected to say necessarily. But that's all I have to say about that red card moment, Joe. Unless you have more to say, shall we talk about the second red card moment? I want to add one thing quickly. Please. First of all, I agree with your Paul Areola thing. He is who he has always sort of been, but mm-hmm. he did his thing pretty well in this game defensively, queuing some some moments for the U.S. to counterattack. Uh, maybe this is me galaxy braining things and in, in playing 8,000 D chess. But in this moment, I was from a U.S. perspective, at least thinking this might be a bit of a break for the U.S. And stop me if this is so stupid. To but not, to I was not just thinking to yeah, the red card, to not, not get, the get red that card. red card for yeah. Kamar Lawrence, because yeah. if Jamaica goes down to 10 men, then you're almost immediately condemning yourselves to 90 minutes against a really low block. And we know the U.S. isn't very good at breaking those blocks down. So I thought the fact that the referee gave Lawrence a yellow card could have actually been the U.S.'s saving grace. And, and maybe it was in the second half. I don't really think it ended up going that way. But that was really my initial thought. And so I found it hard to be to be too outraged by really this call or the Damian Lowe call. Um, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't talk about them because I, I'm not sure either decision was right by the center referee. Well, it's an interesting idea. Uh, and, and it is the case that sometimes when you're playing against... No, I mean that sincerely, that when you play against 10 players... There's some of the mental sharpness can go because you think, ah, we've got a man advantage. We'll be able to figure it out. They're going to get tired. But also, if your opponent has to change their shape, this would have been inside the first minute. So maybe it's less of a threat. But if you expect a player to be in a position they've been in throughout the game and suddenly they're popping up elsewhere or moving elsewhere, you have to change what you're doing. And it can be difficult to figure out an opponent. And I think also it probably would have meant that Jamaica sat much deeper and were more compact and never really tried to break out. So I take your point. It could have really changed the game and made it less fun. I also would point out that to uh, your point about Damian Lowe should mention that uh, after Ricardo Pepe plays that ball in for Paul Areola, he clears out Ricardo Pepe. And I, and I tweeted a quick little clip of that one, but if, if there were VAR, I don't know if they're bringing that one back or giving out a card, but the official it's his job to sort of pay attention to that type of incident. And that should have been a yellow right there. So even if we're not getting a red card to, to Kamar Lawrence, probably should have been two yellows for two different players in this sequence. And it wasn't, but that matters because it is Damian Lowe who then takes out Brendan Aronson later on in the game. This one may be more debatable, Joe. Yeah, and this one, I, I just don't understand the rules of soccer. Maybe that's a bad thing for me to say on a, a podcast <laughs> where we talk about soccer. I just don't understand enough about this, man. So mm-hmm. the sequence, I'll paint the picture for us again. It's the 33rd minute. Brendan Aronson is is pressing. The U.S. is kind of pressing as a unit out from midfield. Brendan Aronson presses Damian Lowe, Jamaica, one of Jamaica's center backs, and enforces a turnover. And Paul Areola at this point then plays a beautiful first-touch through ball to Brendan Aronson, who's making a run in behind. And Damian Lowe recovers and puts in a challenge on Brendan Aronson a yard or so outside the box and, and gets a yellow card. It's in a dangerous spot. This is this is part for me, Taylor. I don't understand enough about 
how this whole thing works because Brendan Aronson touches the ball first and then Damian Lowe also touches the ball as he sort of clears through Brendan Aronson. Yeah. Mark, Cla- Mark Clatterberg, or, sorry, I'm going to butcher that name. Clattenburg, thank you. Mark Clattenburg's talking about on, on ESPN how it's about the fair intent of the player and I have yeah. no idea how we're supposed to judge that from my couch. It, it just is a hard <laughs> one for me to make a judgment on. Yeah, so here is is my read on it. First of all, from a just a te- like a technical, as I understand the rules yeah, perspective, yeah. it's given as a foul. So if you're blowing for a foul there, you are saying you have impeded the player's ability mm. to make a play on this ball. It's outside the box, but he is definitively the last man. So again, like just by the rules, that should have been a red card. And this is another one where the referee gets surrounded and you can see him the kind of eyes are wide open. Again, he's understanding the the magnanimity of the moment. Uh, mag, mag, no, magnanimity? I forget what it would be. The the <laughs> the, the importance of the moment. It sounds there good we go. to me. <laughs> sure. Uh, and and I think he he again doesn't want to have to make that sort of game changing decision. But if you're giving the foul for stopping a breakaway, that's pretty much the definition of a red card to me. Looking at it in more depth, let's say he didn't blow for the foul and just kind of missed this completely. What I would say is there are certain angles where it looks like Damian Lowe maybe gets a touch on the ball and then Brendan Aronson does. There are others where it looks like Brendan Aronson gets a touch. Where I come down is basically two things. You'll see sometimes a defender come in, make a slide tackle, they win the ball really cleanly, and then they get a player's legs. And that's never going to be given as a foul because they've slid in, they've won the ball, and I would say the way I understand it is that they kind of changed the trajectory of the ball. If it's if the player is dribbling towards goal, dribbling towards the end line, the defender slides in, pokes the ball away, and puts it out for a throw-in, or, or just sends it like towards the corner flag instead of like right at goal, they have made a play on the ball, and then they maybe have made contact. That's part of the game. That's legal. What happens here, as I see it, is regardless of who gets that first touch, I do think Brendan Aronson is going to keep possession. I do think he's going to be, be able to make a play, at least get a kind of toe-poke shot, if not control the ball and get a clean shot. And then Damian Lowe takes out his legs. And so to me, at that point, the defender has basically prevented an attacker from continuing to make a play on a ball that was going to be live. It's not like it goes out of bounds. It's it's very much still in play. And so to me, you've denied the player the opportunity to make a play on the ball, to get on the end of it, to still get that shot. And that is denial of a goal-scoring opportunity. So again, I feel like that could have been two red cards for Jamaica inside the the first half, and that really would have made it a different game. Neither one is given, and such is life. But I do think maybe that official is going to get some words from the review crew after this game. Yeah, Taylor, you sold me really early on there with the whole idea of if it's a foul in that position, then shouldn't it just be a red card regardless of what (laughs) how you interpret and apply the rules for this situation? You kind of can't have your cake and eat it too here if you're the referee. Yeah. You either make the call fully in one direction or you make the call fully in the other direction and he ended up splitting the difference. And maybe that is the most equitable way to do this, but I don't think that is in the laws of the game. So yeah, maybe not the best night for the referee. Honestly, the clip that you sent out, Taylor, on Twitter, I think is is maybe the clearest red card of them all with that opening moment from Damian Lowe on Ricardo Pecky so that bad. you described. It's so bad, right? And VAR, and, and Taylor Twelman was making this point pretty vehemently on the broadcast, and and to be honest, I agree with him. It is very strange yep. that, that CONCACAF does not have VAR. And CONCACAF's explanation for that is is somewhat valid across the region. They're saying that they can't implement the technology and they don't have the infrastructure in some of these other countries and the stadiums that they play in. 
to have VAR universally across the region for the Ocho. And I get that. I also think maybe having VAR some places is better than other places, but maybe that's my US-centric bias there. So I don't know. This whole thing, though, Taylor, is... I don't know. There's a, there's a lot to digest here and some calls that were certainly blown and maybe those things would not have been blown if VAR was in the building. I agreed because seeing it from a more like nefarious perspective, they, we used to get those moments off the ball, 30 yards off the ball where a defender would know that no one was going to see it. And you would get I think of uh, Pepe for for Portugal. He would do that type of thing. There would be a little bit of an elbow. There'd be a kick out. There'd be a headbutt because he knew he wasn't going to get spotted for it with VAR and cameras everywhere. You have to worry about it. And I think we've seen moments like that cut way down because, you know, if you are in a game where there's VAR, someone's going to see it and you can't have those like those red mist moments. You have to kind of keep your wits about you and you can't have that slyness that comes with it. And that tackle from low, if you want to be generous, you could say he's trying to make a play on the ball and maybe he doesn't know that Pepe is going to be able to play that ball as quickly as he does. But to me, it's it's maybe low seeing that the, the ball is gone. The official has looked the other way. I'm taking out someone's legs here and just letting a youngster know this is how it's going to be this evening. And that is pretty malicious. And so I'm with you. Probably would have been a harsh red card. Certainly harsher than the other two we've talked about. But it's, it's an aggressive foul very early on in the game that, that definitely should have been spotted. And I think VAR would have taken a long look at if anything, Taylor, this conversation just makes me very thankful that I'm not a referee because I would yeah. not thrive in that job. We've talked about that on the show before with Ryan and Graham. It is a hard job. I would not last very long, certainly with no training, but I think even with training, I would crumble. And so I'm glad that we're talking about this instead of actually being the ones who made those decisions. So Joe would not last long as a World Cup qualifying official. <laughs> Jamaica did not last long in the second half before conceding a goal. We're going to talk about those goals and the second half and some standout performances in a moment. But first, one more word from today's sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach, Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think... 
I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. All right, Joe Lowry, we've got the second half. We get kickoff. Four minutes later, we get a goal. I really loved both of these goals, not just because the U.S. scored, but because of the way they scored. Uh, I have many things to say, but I will turn it to you to talk about that first goal from Ricardo Pepe. Okay, so this first goal from the U.S., as you mentioned, Taylor, comes just a few minutes after the start of the second half. It starts with Matt Turner throwing the ball forward to Sergino Dest on that right side. Matt Turner was really chucking the balls that he got out to the fullbacks. He did it to Anthony Robinson in the first half, did it to Dest on this sequence Sergino Dest drives forward, then he plays it to Eunice Musa. At this point, Jamaica are pretty stretched, and there's this gigantic gap in front of their back line. And so Eunice Musa does what he's best at. He dribbles forward on the ball, forces Jamaica to step into him. They all kind of just suction cup around Eunice Musa. And then Musa just plays a simple ball over to Dest on the right. Dest crosses the ball in. It's one of the better crosses that the U.S. had in this game. It's not like a, a from the from the end line, from the touchline yeah. kind of cross. But he puts a ball into the box. Pepe finds a really good spot in between two Jamaican defenders, and he heads it home. That's two goals for Ricardo Pepe at this point in the game in hmm. two of his starts. It is a fantastic moment from the U.S. men's national team. It is. And then with everything you've just described, it's fantastic for how rapid fire that goal takes place or occurs because from the time Turner rolls the ball out to Dest, it is 47 minutes and 55 seconds on the clock. When Dest crosses midfield and centers to Musa, it's 48.02. When uh, Musa plays back to Dest, it's 48.06. When Pepe heads home, it's 48.11, which means from the time Matt Turner rolls the ball out, the U.S. goalkeeper on one end of the pitch, to the time the U.S. central striker is heading the ball into the net, it's been 16 seconds, which is... Like, I remember running sprints, and I think it was like 12, 11 to 12 seconds was a good time to make it from one end of the field to the other. So 16 seconds is fairly impressive when you think of an entire attack developing. But this is also a moment, I think it's a great ball from Dest. It's a good turn and dribble from Musa. It's good carrying forward from Dest to begin with, and it's a clever header, like a good positional, I know where I am, and I just need to put this low and on frame header from Ricardo Pepe. The player that I think maybe des- deserves a little bit of credit here is Paul Areola. Did, did mm. you spot Areola's work on this one? I didn't. Go on. So as Musa gets that ball and starts to move forward with it, Dest continues the run. And you're right, like most of the Jamaican players around Musa sort of collapse upon him. But there's one who does not, and that man is Kamar Lawrence, who is sticking with with uh, Paul Areola. Areola makes a vertical run and a central run towards goal and takes Kamar Lawrence completely with him and clears out about 30 yards of space, which is what Musa dribbles into and then plays the ball through to Serginho Dest. So Areola, this was a thing that I think was really missing in the first half from the United States, was just that that like uh, unbalancing movement that you make a run away, you pull somebody with you, now you've opened up a space for somebody else, and then ideally a Jamaican player has to try to sprint over to cover that one. They leave their, like the position they're supposed to be defending or the space they're supposed to be dealing with or the player they're supposed to be marking, and somebody else has to cover or not, but now you start to open up and the kind of domino effect occurs. And Ariella taking away Kamar Lawrence 
allows Serginho Dest to have that time to pick his head up, to see the spot Ricardo Pepe there. It's not even a, a, a really clever run or a kind of check away, check two from Ricardo Pepe. He just holds his position well, gets on the end of the cross, and it's one nil. But a lot of things to like about that goal for me, Joe. Taylor, I love that. I did not spot that. I watched the goal back as you were talking and you described it really well. That's exactly what happens. And that's hugely important to have that movement to create space for others. That's good stuff. I do. Oh, man, I don't want to be Debbie Downer, but I'm I'm going to be a little bit here. Uh, two things on the goal that maybe made Boo. it a little less enjoyable for Boo. me in some small way. So really poor defending from Jamaica, right? I mean, they There's are that. so slow to get back into their shape. I tweeted a little bit later in the second half, but I said you could drive a, a semi-truck through Jamaica's counter-press. And they're not counter-pressing in this moment. It's after they've lost the ball. Um, but but they are high up the field. And Jamaica just tracked back so slowly, at least their, their front line does. And so there's tons of space for the U.S. to attack into. So that's that's negative bit number one. And number two, very quickly, neither this goal nor the U.S.'s second goal in the second half and in this game come against Jamaica in a really compact low block. And so this is, you can't really fault the U.S. for this, right? In the second half. In the first half, I think you can fault them for not taking advantage of the opportunities. But in the second half, Jamaica just opened themselves wide up and said, come on down, right? So I don't fault the U.S. for the second half, but it it does still leave us with the question of, can the U.S. break down a low block? And still, right now, the answer is no. And I wanted to see that change in the second half. So maybe this is not a gripe necessarily with the goal or with the second it's goal. It's a concern. Yeah, but it, I'm with you. it is a concern going forward. And we've talked about that before. And I'm sad to say, I think we're going to have to keep talking about it. I think we will. And I, my guess would be Panama away will be a compact defense that the United yeah. States is going to have to find its way yeah. through. Hopefully, this gives them some confidence. And I would say the second goal definitely should, because this is one where. Uh, I think there is a sustained uh, possession sequence from the United States before the goal, but then they lose possession. They get it back. As they get it back, we get some replays. So it's tough to know for sure. But uh, Weston McKinney seems to have received the ball in turn when the play starts, uh, if you go back and watch. And from there, it's 13 passes that go left side of the pitch, right side of the pitch, back to the left side, down the line, then back central for the goal. I believe nine of the 11 players on the pitch for the United States touched the ball at some point in this one. And there's a lot of other things I liked about this one. Joe, what did you like about the U.S.'s second goal? I did like the ball movement, like you're talking about, Taylor. Um, Dest getting on the ball, then finding Musa centrally, then Adams playing it wide to Anthony Robinson, Anthony oh Robinson then finding Aronson running forward, and then the cross and finish. The finish from Pepe is just phenomenal. And, and him scoring a brace in this game, right? That's a goal in his first game, two goals in his second game. I'm waiting for the hat trick in game three. It is just... It's phenomenal work from Ricardo Pepe, and he wasn't perfect in this game, but man, there's so much to like about the work that he does in the box, and, and we saw that again on this goal. The finish is so good. The way that he moves to connect with the ball from Aronson is so good. The stars align on this goal from the U.S., and it is a great passing sequence. Again, tons of space that Jamaica's leaving them, and, and they're not in this deeper block in this sequence either, but it is a phenomenal goal and a huge moment in the game, right? Jamaica had, had to, at this point, after the first goal, step forward and try to get something, because we've talked about it already they need points desperately they need points really badly and so they had to step forward and they had to give the U.S. some space and you want at this point if you're the United States to be able to be ruthless and take advantage of that space and that's exactly what we saw on this goal so I have goldfish brain we've talked about this before but with that in mind I will say this is one of the most impressive goals I think I've seen the U.S. score under Greg Berhalter so far uh and and I would say maybe the best but I can't really remember other really impressive ones but the thing that I enjoyed the most about this when we start with 
there's obviously the sequence as I've described it, and there's a bunch of passes in there, but it's when it goes, it's Serginho Dest with great control. He centers to Musa, as you described, Musa plays to Tyler Adams. And this is the part that really stood out for me. I would encourage people to go watch this goal again so they can see all of this occur. But Tyler Adams is on the ball central and doesn't have that many obvious passing options. It's not as though, oh, Brendan Aronson is wide open down the line. He hits it. It's a really obvious ball. It's not as though there's a pass, pass, pass sequence that creates openings. It's Tyler Adams spotting Anthony Robinson open, but behind three Jamaican players, but he has found space on that on the uh, the sideline. And Adams threads like a perfect ball hits it right through like the eye of the needle uh, and gets it into Anthony Robinson. And that is the pass that Tyler Adams can hit that the United States desperately needs its midfielders to be able to hit that in one moment, one pass, he takes out six and seven Jamaican players because of the way they'd stepped up. And now Anthony Robinson is able to turn Anthony Robinson plays a very, well-hit, well-weighted pass down the line for uh, Brendan Aronson, who'd made a very smart run from like from the center of the pitch to out wide. And then Aronson, with great vision to just slow up a little bit, let Ricardo Pepe close that gap, and then he hits that perfect ball. It's that exact spot you want it where Andre Blake, Jamaica's goalkeeper, can't come for it. He knows he's not going to be able to get there, but defenders can't make a, a play on it. And it ends up finding Ricardo Pepe, who just calmly finishes. And it's... It's not, you know, some world-class goal from 40 yards out. It's not some individual moment where Ricardo Pepe dribbles past eight people. But it's just such a a goal that you expect to see from world-class teams. It's it's a, a, a line-splitting pass, a line-breaking pass. It's another smart ball down the line. It's a very well-hit like, assist through the middle. And it's just a calm finish. It's a Bayern Munich goal that the United States was able to score in this one. And, and that's not one that I really feel like we've seen from the U.S. And it coming after some good moments of possession also doesn't feel like a thing that we've seen much from the United States, at least not since World Cup qualifying began. So overall, Joe, I really liked both of these goals. Same here. I loved both of them. They are really nice sequences. Maybe I'm being greedy here. I just want to see it again. Yep. Right. And I think in order for this team to grow, they need to do this stuff again and they need to do it against a better team. Right. We've mentioned it a number of times, but Jamaica struggled, man. They did step forward in the second half from the start of the second half. I'm almost wondering why they did what they did. Right. Because in the first four minutes, they're already stepping and high pressing and leaving themselves exposed. And then they get exposed and then they, they force themselves almost into getting exposed again. And so it was great work from the U.S. to take advantage of Jamaica's weaknesses and really you know, enforce their will on the game in the second half. I just want to see it against Panama, and then I want to see it against Costa Rica. It needs to be a trend, right? And I think that's maybe what's given me a little bit of a pause about this game is because I, the, the September window is still really fresh in my mind, right? And we saw about 45 minutes of good soccer in that last window. That's not enough, right? It's not enough for me to be feeling really positive about this team right now. There are great moments in this game. These goals were great moments. I just think we need to see it again and again, and maybe next week and and Sunday we will. Uh, For people keeping track on their bingo cards at home, here's your Manchester United reference. I think, Joe, (laughs) like what you're describing is fair and accurate and reminds me of current Manchester United, where sometimes they will win a game five, five to one, and it seems like, oh man, they have figured everything out. And then you look at the opposition and you think, ah, that wasn't the strongest one, and they right. kind of played exactly. exactly into the way in a way Manchester United wanted to play against teams that game plan for them and game plan to cause problems. That's where we see that attack breakdown and they have some issues. And so I think you're smart here, Joe. I think it can be a things can be two things sort of moment that the U.S. played well, got their goals, took their chances, 
created uncertainty, caused problems for Jamaica, made smart substitutions, didn't leave too many people on the pitch for too long. But simultaneously, we can still be nervous about the next game against Panama because it will be a, a an opponent that has caused the United States problems in the past that is likely to be more defensive, that the United States is going to have to find a way to play through and get a result. Maybe if it's a draw, that's okay. I would prefer to see them find a way through and at least get a goal and create something against that low block team. So I think, Joe, you are smart to be sort of optimistic about this, the way this game finished and the way it went overall, but simultaneously concerned about what happens next. And I think, I th- thank you. Yeah, I think that's a good spot to be in. I think that's the spot that the U- this U.S. team is going to be in after this game. Greg Baralter said after the match, everything was pretty good about this game. I don't know how he said it. I'm reading the quote from Twitter, so I'm adding my own <laughs> emphasis how I would say it. Everything was pretty good in this game. The trap is going to be us thinking we're great and, we, and thinking we've yeah. qualified for the World Cup. And if we do that, Baralter said, we're going to get our butts kicked in Panama on Sunday, right? I editorialized that quote slightly, but you get the idea, right? I mean, this is this is a building block, and, and that's a great building block. The building block, I like it. It looks good. It's a nice building block. Um, it's not perfect. It's got some rough edges and some chips and a pretty big chip in the first half, but it's good enough to get the job done. The points are huge. The result is big. The ruthlessness that we saw in the second half, and, and there was chances to, to finish off still later on in the half, but a lot of good moments in the second 45 that I think are, are good to build on. I'm glad you found that quote, Joe, because that combined with, uh, was it John Champion doing the play-by-play for this one for ESPN? Ah, uh, shoot. I don't know, Taylor. I forgot that Joe ignores the commentary outright. (laughs) I think it was John Champion. He mentioned, I think, Tyler Adams talking about how the United States had had a little bit of arrogance heading into the first round of qualifying those first three games, and there were expectations of nine points, and we've come to play. We beat Mexico twice this summer. We got this. And I do wonder if Burhalter trying to check that immediately after the game is a sort of reminder that this team needs to stay focused and his goal is to keep them on track to get that result in Panama. Um, If we're talking about building blocks for that next game, Joe, we've talked about the goals. We've talked bits and pieces about individual performances. What else did you sort of really enjoy from this game uh, as we wrap up our coverage of this one? Who are some players that stood out or other little moments that stood out to you for whatever reason? Yeah, so can we talk Yunus Musa, Taylor? Um, Uh, For as long as you want. And if it's (laughs) forever, that's fine. Okay, yeah, forever. So this this episode is actually never going to get published because we're <laughs> never going to stop recording, which means we can never actually upload it. But Yunus Musa was, again, mixed bag, right? That's that's going to be the case for almost every player, I think, in this game. But the second half from him was phenomenal, right? He plays a part in, in that first goal that Ricardo Pepe scores, and then then he starts feeling himself, right? The game's open a little bit at that point, and he can actually get on the ball and drive forward right after the goal, the 50th minute then, which I think is just one minute after the first one scored, Musa's deeper on the right side and he he drops his shoulder and runs past Jamal Lowe for Jamaica. And then two minutes later, he makes that driving forward run into the box that, that actually could have resulted in a good chance for the U.S. men's national team. I, I think he really grew into this game and he thrives in a more open game where he can carry the ball forward. I liked a lot of what we saw from Yunus Musa, and that doesn't surprise me at all, Taylor, and I'm sure that doesn't surprise you. He's been someone that we've been waiting to see again for the U.S. after, I don't know, we saw him a little bit towards the end of 2020, and he was in some camps earlier this year. It was just good to get another look at Yunus Musa and to see him perform so well in that second 45. Joe, I promise I'm going somewhere with this. How much NFL do you watch? Uh, not as much as I used to, but like I, I think I still know a good bit. I'm assuming you know who Pat Mahomes is, Patrick oh, Mahomes? Oh, yes, yes. There's a little Patrick Mahomes to Yunus Musa for me that like, you know, he can, you know, like 
like throw like throw the kind of short yardage passes. He can sure. complete those kind of medium range ones. He can be smart on the ball. He can keep the ball. But then in moments when he is pressed, when he is under pressure, or just when he wants to, he can pull out these like 30 yard runs yeah. or these just like yeah. ridiculous balls that you don't see coming or like just he should get tackled and doesn't. And there are also times when he tries to do that and does give up possession or does turn the ball over. or does get tackled. But the unpredictability to how Yudas Musa wants to play in the middle is something that I really enjoy because it's not unpredictable in sometimes he's going to control the ball and sometimes it's going to pop up because he has a terrible first touch or sometimes he puts his head down and doesn't know what he's doing. It seems like he just tries to evaluate moment to moment and spot opportunities and then play into those opportunities. And, and I am with you that it is a mixed bag. There's moments, I think in the first five minutes, he yep, tries to do the Musa maneuver twice yep. and loses the ball twice. But it's also him trying something. It's also him trying to go at that defense. And I wonder if that's also part of the briefing is if you see a 1v1 and you want to try to take that, take that. And in the second half, as the game goes on, I felt like we saw more of that. We saw some of that from Musa. I saw some of it from Aronson and from Dest, from Timothy Weah, certainly when he came on. And I enjoyed some of the U.S. attackers backing themselves to try to make something happen. Yunus Musa, chief amongst them. I love that. I love that analogy, Taylor, between Patrick Mahomes and U.S. Musa. They have this wild card energy, yep. but it's it's both wild chaotic card. and so, it's it's somehow chaotic and harnessable at the same time. It's like they kind of know how to channel that energy into something productive, but they're also still a little chaotic. And it, it's great. It's fun to watch. I, I'm so happy that Yunus Musa actually started in this game because we didn't know that that was going to happen, right? He'd been dealing with some inconclusive COVID tests, and so he hadn't really been training with the team. I'm not sure he trained with the team at all in the, in the build up to this game. Maybe he did just a little bit. I don't, I can't recall now at this point, but the fact that Berhalter trusted him enough he's to training put him in this lineup. Is what yeah, I saw. so he's training off to the side, right? Yep. So the fact that he got into this game, I think was huge. The fact that he had the impact he did in that second half was huge. What a fun guy to watch. He is, he's, he's a joy to watch and make soccer more fun. And I'm, I'm glad that we get to watch him play for the U.S. men's national team. Uh, a couple more names uh, to spotlight. One I already mentioned, Paul Ariola. I liked his run. I liked him trying stuff and being around the attack. I wouldn't say it was a 10 out of 10 performance, but the other thing that I really enjoyed about him, and and this is a thing that maybe is like unique to me. It's it's one of my things that I enjoy is looking on the slow-mo replays of what everybody does when a shot goes wide or when a shot gets blocked out for a corner. And like, there's one of the first half when I forget who it is. I think it's Anthony Robinson is trying to play a ball central and it gets knocked out for a corner. And Ricardo Pepe is there and he starts to do that. Like, hey, man, I was open. And then he realizes like, oh, you tried to play it to me. And so he just does it like, ah, that's a shame. And you'd see the moments of frustration. You'd see the moments of just like, yeah, like, ah, you could have played that ball, whatever. And then every time I saw Paul Ariola, it was either smiling or laughing and usually trash talking his teammate who had missed a shot. And it just like... <laughs> I it, I think that's probably a big part of why he is there. I think he is a vibes guy. I think he's a good locker room guy. And I think he does what Berhalter wants him to do, which is be scrappy, make those sort of direct runs, but then still have that good first touch that you need when you've got an attacker on the ball. So I thought it was a, a B performance, I would say, from Paul Ariola, but that's better than what we've seen of him recently. I would say it was an A not quite A+, plus, but an A performance from Brendan Aronson, uh, who was the other sort of standout performer from this game for me, aside from Ricardo Pepe. I have multiple notes about Brendan Aronson. Joe, what did you make of him? I'll just hit a couple quick bullet points here. I, I enjoyed him as well in this game, Taylor. I thought he was good. I liked his aggressive movements in behind. That was clearly a point of emphasis coming into this game and into this camp for the U.S. from Greg Berhalter. I thought he did that well in the first half, especially in the first half of the first half. 
I then liked him dropping in between the lines some as well, getting on the ball, threading some nice passes in behind, finding Anthony Robinson at times in the first half. He was active in the second 45 as well. I, I enjoyed most of what I saw from Aronson. I did think he adopted maybe a bit too much of the Christian Pulisic ball too hard. I'm going to call my own number gene in this game. Uh, he took a lot of shots. Not maybe not a, not a ton of shots, but some ill-advised shots. I thought outside the box at a weird angles inside the box, um, not getting off shots quickly enough. If he was going to take them, so some of that stuff. This is really nitpicky, but some of that stuff I, I wasn't as big a fan of. But overall, Taylor, I thought I thought he was good. So he has the flick for the uh, that opening minute yep. uh, play that leads to the red. He's got a great through ball uh, for Anthony Robinson when Anthony Robinson has that cutback that doesn't quite find Paul Ariola, but then he draws multiple fouls. The other red card moment, he gets a few shoves and gets knocked over and draws those fouls, and then he has the assist for the goal. He's also, I think, as you spotlighted, the one who robs Damian Lowe of possession that leads to the that second red card moment. So I thought. Could have been better in certain moments, but overall, the the work rate, the running off the ball, and then the performance on the ball, I thought all were, were pretty pretty special from Rendon Aronson. So a, a good game from him. Joe, who else would you like to talk about? I've talked a lot about individual players. Okay, so I want to talk about the center backs, but very quickly before I do that, I want to go back to Pepe for just one thing. Um, oh, yeah. A lot of good stuff from Pepe in this game, right? Obviously scores those two goals. That is the most important thing by a really long distance so that that stuff's all great he had some other nice moments as well that that threw ball to Paul Ariola that we'd mentioned earlier on in the show we had some good hold up play in the 15th minute but one thing that I've noticed from Pepe watching in MLS and, and watching him with the national team for these last two games is he is not wholly consistent when he has his back to goal right he is somewhat prone to turn the ball over he'll he'll lose battles to someone on his back and so that's just one thing to watch as we watch a lot more of Ricardo Pepe in the future and we're going to I, I would argue he's not a perfect player right now, and he has room to develop that part of his game. He's great at finding space in the box. He's pretty good at moving off the ball to, to get into those spots in the box. But I want to see him improve some of his work with his back to goal and become a stronger presence, grow into his frame a little bit, and, and grow that part of his game. So that's one thing I wanted to mention before shifting back to the center backs, who I thought, Taylor, were pretty darn good in yep. this game. Man, Walker Zimmerman, I, I thought, was almost flawless, a little too slow on the ball at times. But man... He bailed Miles Robinson out of a defensive moment, and we don't usually see that, right? It was in the first half a, a poor moment for Miles Robinson, who accidentally shows Shamar Nicholson inside after getting caught on his heels a bit. And, and Miles Robinson doesn't usually make that mistake, but Zimmerman is there, and Zimmerman was kind of everywhere in this game. He got forward a little bit, which I always love. You could see his hair bouncing up and down as he was running. Uh, that, was thought, we, that was Tim Ream. That was Tim You're right. Yeah, Tim Ream lookalike, Walker Zimmerman, mm-hmm. or just Tim Ream 2.0. I, I liked what I saw from the center backs. They were solid, and they, they made Jamaica's life really hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no arguments for me. I think anytime your center backs, like I, I struggle to remember. I like again. I remember that ball out wide that Dest is able to keep in bound that leads to the second goal. I remember uh, Tim Ream slash Walker Zimmerman being pretty direct with those loose balls. But for the most part, I thought they were calm. They made smart moves. They chose their moments to carry the ball forward. And like, there's one where Zimmerman, I think, calls off Musa, and Musa gives him that like, all right, man. And then Zimmerman carries it forward thirty yards and finds an open pass. And I thought. That was they they kind of were selective and when they got forward, but when they did, they contributed. So I think strong work from both center backs. It's weird to me that like we've we've talked about Ricardo Pepe and he scores two goals, but I don't know if I have a ton else to say aside from just that it's nice yeah. that we had a second straight goal scoring performance from the number nine that 
it would have been a big bummer if he kind of played 60 minutes and had a few bad touches and had a shot that was kind of scuffed wide and we're back to like, is he the guy? Should we start Giassi Zarda's next game? And we will get rotation in these next two games. We will get different starters and some people that we thought should continue to start might not. And that's okay. But that it's Pepe getting a brace in this one, three goals in two games, not a terrible start to the U.S. men's national team career for him. And then I think we'll see some things that he can build on and and work on, I think, off-the-ball movement and knowing Taylor Twelman's spotlight of this one, when to make those sort of darting runs in behind versus when to drop in and try to pull center backs out with him. I think that comes with more games and with more experience, but overall, a good game. I just don't have a ton else to say. I just wanted to make sure that we spotlighted him one more time. No, I think that's important. Taylor, another couple of folks I want to spotlight, the fullbacks, yes, who I thought were both solid. And Dest, I think, was was really good, especially in that second half. Robinson provided some width on that left side and, and got forward in the first half and, and played a part in the second half as well. Dest turned on the sauce in the second half, right? Yes, he, he let yes, loose he the sauce floodgates, yes, and that did. was so fun to watch. <laughs> uh, it, it wasn't flawless, and I, I actually laughed out loud once at one of the tricks he tried that didn't come off. But he was pulling out the the pullback flick to a wide open player when he was under no pressure, just because he can do it instead of just making a regular four yard pass. He was he was really ratcheting up the skills in the second half, and I loved to see that. And he had an impact on the box score as well, actually getting forward on that first goal and, and providing service and, and doing some of those things really well. He tucked inside some in the second half, which I really enjoyed. Yunus Musa would rotate out wide. I, I liked what I saw from both fullbacks tonight, but especially Dest. And I think, Taylor, that that was a much-needed performance from Dest. It's good to see him be productive in the attack and be solid in the defense as well. Yeah, I think as we go, I continue to feel more and more positive about this game because I hadn't really thought about the performances we needed to see, and we got a lot of them. We got Ricardo Pepe scoring goals and proving that he can be, or at least furthering the argument that he can be a consistent threat. We saw Serginho Dest playing right back, doing the things we need him to do, which is being defensively solid, not making any obvious mistakes on the defensive side, but then still contributing to the attack and, again, picking those moments. There's the one where he draws the foul on Mariapa right at the top of the box, and that is him just knowing, I'm going to take this guy on, he's backpedaling, I've got the opportunity, versus other times, I think, in the first half, it was more of a, I'm just going to try and see what happens, and the ball gets poked away. So it seemed like as the game went on, he backed himself in the right moments. Anthony Robinson having another really strong game and clearly being an outlet for how the United States wanted to attack and transition from defense to attack and did just fine doing that, but also did just fine tracking his his runs and making sure he was there as defensive cover. I thought a really solid game from both of them. The center backs did well. Matt Turner continues to justify those starts. And even Weston McKinney, I, I, I have a feeling that if I went back and watched this game just focused on Weston McKinney, he had more of an impact than I remember. But it's another game where I, he didn't stand out in the best way. I didn't see him make a ton of plays and create a ton of opportunities. Uh, has a shot here and there, has a few good passes, but I also didn't see him just constantly giving the ball away or conceding fouls or just sort of being errant in his passing, reckless in his decision-making, and so that he didn't stand out in a negative way to me is a positive, especially with him having been sent home in that last camp. Agreed. Yeah, McKenney had some some moments that made him stand off the screen a little bit for me. That that one in the first half on the nearest sideline, the left side for the U.S., where he's spinning around a bit and, and beats, I think it's Jamal Lowe. It might be Bobby oh, yeah, Lee good call. On that call. side and, and combines with Aronson a bit. So there, there were some flashy moments and some good really point. productive moments from him, but not a ton, right? And so I, I think that's okay as well in a game like this. So McKenney, I thought, was solid. Tyler Adams, Taylor, is going to be... Yes a player that I think gets almost no love kind of for the rest of his U.S. men's national team career. 
um, defensively at least, because we've all just been waiting to see him at the six, and now that it looks like he finally claimed that spot, he just kind of goes out and does his thing every game. He's not it's, perfect on the, the ball. Thing, man. Yeah, that's I mean, it's it just it's going to be the same recipe almost game in and game out from Tyler Adams, and the recipe is not going to fit every game perfectly. It fit this game okay, and I thought he was more of a plus passer than I expected him to be. But he was just a guy that you can kind of know is going to clock in and know exactly what he's going to do in that game, and then he's going to clock out, and, and it's kind of just expected at this point. He, he will at some point have a bad game for the U.S., and it will be bad enough that it will stand out. And I think in that moment, I will not care because he has been so good for the U.S. because he is just consistent. He is just reliable. He he covers ground. He like acts as a first defender if he needs to, but he can do a very good job of covering and being a second defender. I saw a lot of the first defender making the Jamaican player turn and go a different way. And then Tyler Adams was there to force them into another change of direction or to help win the ball, or at least just force an errant touch. But then his passing was pretty incisive. I already talked about uh, what he was, what he did to help create that second goal, but just kept the ball moving was a constant presence on the ball, but also off the ball, yelling at, yelling at teammates, giving instructions, giving sort of encouragement when it was necessary, but also helping players understood where they could have done something differently or done something better. Uh, yeah, like he's probably not going to get a ton of love because there are other standout performers and he just did his job. But when Tyler Adams does his job, the U.S. is going to perform at a much higher level than when he doesn't or when someone else tries to do it. So uh, basically, I think it's a good note to end on that we both love Tyler Adams. Oh, yes. And, and can I slide one more player in, Taylor, before we close? Um, oh, it, I, if you if we don't talk about Tim Ream, or, okay, excuse me, Tim Weah, excuse <laughs> Tim me. Weah, yeah. We've already talked about Tim Ream. I keep wanting to talk about Tim Ream, apparently. If we don't talk about T- Tim Weah, I think uh, Twitter will riot. Okay, yeah, that's that's what I thought. And I don't want that to happen. Um, I, I like living, and I'd like to stay on this planet at least for another little while. Um, Tim Weah, so good in this game. He comes off the bench in the 68th minute, gets on the field, coming in for Brendan Aronson. Jossie Zardes comes in for Ricardo Pepe in that same substitution window. And way it was phenomenal, man. He was out on the wing. He was beating people for pace. He was getting into the box. He was creating danger. He had so many good moments. The 72nd minute, good dribbling sequence. 73rd minute, good dribbling sequence beats a guy, but the ball just goes out of bounds. 78th minute, creates a chance for Jossie Zardes that Zardes can't quite uh, quite connect with. And then dribbles and and plays a ball to Calnacosta, another sub, that, who then crosses it into Jossie Zardes in the 85th minute. So many quality moments from Tim Weah in such a short amount of time. Man, I, I, what a performance from him. And and maybe it would, this would feel, I guess, a bit more relevant if he'd combined and helped create a goal in a, in a situation where maybe the U.S. hadn't already locked this game up. But man, he was so good off the bench and I'm looking yep. forward to watching him in some other games in this window. No arguments here, man. I, I, I think if he doesn't start against Panama, we will definitely see him and maybe that will be his role with this team, yeah. especially when they're at full strength with Pulisic and Reyna coming back. Uh, I also just really like that we didn't have to, my final note for this would be that we just didn't have to change things up on a fundamental level, which is something we've had to do in other games, both in qualifying and in tournaments of the past, where it's, all right, we got to get Christian Roldan on to do Christian Roldan things and Sebastian Legette is going to come on and operate as more of a number 10 and we're going to change the shape and we're going to do this and we're going to add that. And I just like that it was more or less the shape that we started with is what we stuck with, but it's what we got a result with. We brought in new personnel who fit into that shape and did like roughly the same jobs, roughly as effectively. And in the end, it's three points and two goals and a win for the United States. And I feel like happy times for you and me, Joe. A happy time. Really fun second half. Good result. I don't think we learned a ton about this team in a macro 
tactical yep. team-wide kind of sense, but we learned things about players, Tim Weah, Ricardo Pepe, the center backs having big performances, all the performances that we talked about, we learned and, and got data on those guys. And so in that regard, this is this is a great opportunity for us to learn more about these players, and that's what happened. Now it's on to Sunday's game against Panama to see if they can continue this momentum, maybe fix up some of those tactical things that we've been seeing as flaws for a while now. I don't know that that's going to happen, but a result's big, and, and maybe a second one will come on Sunday. On to Sunday, my friend. Joe Lowry will be back with me to talk about the U.S.'s game there. Hopefully, they're, they're five no win and six points from, <laughs> from two games, but we'll see what happens. Until then, Joe Lowry, thank you very much for taking all the time to watch, rewatch, and then talk about the U.S.'s two no win over Jamaica. You got it, Taylor. Listeners, thank you all very much for listening. Uh, there will be an Allocation Disorder episode at some point tomorrow. That will be Paul and Sam, both on location. They might not be recording on location. It might be from the hotel. But either way, they are also going to be putting out an episode about this results. Uh, there will be a 101 episode. There is another mini episode coming from the Total Soccer Show feed. So several more shows in the feed before we reach the weekend. But for now, that's all from us. We will talk to you very soon. 